This morning comes out of Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Genesis 4, 2 through 7. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If you'll pray with me. Steadfast Father, would you come and be with us this morning? We yearn for your presence and have and are nothing without you. Lord, we ask um, that your spirit would come upon Brian, that you would remind him of your word and your truth, and through him you would pass that along to us, that you'd continue to grow us and sanctify us as a body, to be whole and ready for the joyous day when we will meet you face to face. We love you this morning, Lord, and we wait on you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Before, uh, about two years ago, we had, we had ropes that held down the tent, and uh, we actually had a small little tent over there for the kids, and uh, one morning I came, and it wasn't there anymore, it had just vanished. And then I looked up in the tree, and about 50 feet up into the tree, that's where the kids' tent went after the strong Santa Ana, so um, I think we'll be okay this morning. We are uh, continuing our study on the Ten Commandments, and this morning we are looking at that very clear, short, to the point that the world universally probably agrees on, thou shalt not murder. That's a good place to start, and um, Jesus will add some insight to the point behind that. Before we get into that, though, I just want to remind you that before God gave the Jewish people or the Israelites the Ten Commandments, He rescued them with His grace. And we have to always build um, our life first on the grace of God, on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then He will teach us how to live. And so this morning, we will focus our attention on Matthew chapter 5. Um, what Tom read this morning, and we will look at how Jesus clarifies 
and critiques what had become the Jewish tradition of this commandment, thou shalt not murder, the sixth commandment. So, I will read it again briefly and then we'll look at this a little bit. Chapter, 21, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. <clears throat> Jesus here is critiquing the Jewish tradition that had said murder is wrong because if you murder, you will be liable for judgment. You will go before the courts and you will stand trial. And they had missed the spirit of the law. They missed the intent that God had originally given the Jewish people to build a new community. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount closely parallels the Ten Commandments and says to his followers, I want to build a new community, a new identity of people who are centering their lives on me. And this is how I want you to live. And so here is my main point that we will build around this morning, that Christians not only avoid murder, but don't misuse anger to abuse others. Christians not only avoid murder, but don't misuse anger to abuse others. And that is really the heart of what Jesus is talking about. The topic of anger is very fascinating, and the Bible talks a lot about anger. And if we look at it, one of the things we'll notice is that most of the time anger is spoken about in the Bible, it's always in the form of a warning, that it's dangerous, that it hurts people, that it hurts yourself. And so there are examples after examples after examples. The Bible goes on and on and on with examples of people who have misused anger. But there are examples, Jesus specifically, where anger is used the right way. And unfortunately this morning, I won't take the time to talk about how anger can be used in the right way other than just very briefly to say that when we do look at anger used in a positive way in the Bible, we see a couple of things. Number one, that, that the anger is slow. That anger is slow and anger is precise. And what happens most of the time, and we see this in the Bible, is when anger is abused and used wrongly, it's quick and it's just out there. Anyone in the realm gets punished. About, I don't know, about two months ago or so, I had a, an incident, and I, I, let me back up and say this, that this issue of anger is something that is, that is deep within most people. And what happens is when we become Christians, we, we don't use that word anymore because it doesn't sound quite, it doesn't sound Christian, doesn't sound nice, and Christians are supposed to be nice, and so we just say, use other words to mask the real feelings of anger. And if I were to tell you one of the main ways that God has worked in my life over the years, over the long haul of my life, it is the issue of anger. And if you were to say to me, you might say, well, you seem like a nice person, well, that's because God, number one, God has changed my life. And number two, there are different ways of showing anger. Just because you look nice doesn't mean you're not filled with anger. Some people just internalize it until they are ready to explode. And so we all deal with anger in a different way. But 
I'll tell you really quickly just a, a funny story about how at least I think I used anger in the right way, and, and some of my close friends know this, and I did not, some of them encouraged me to say this right away, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to, but a couple of weeks ago, no, sorry, a couple months ago, I was, uh, I took the boys surfing, and, and I couldn't surf because I, I was hurt, my shoulder was bothering me, and I couldn't, and one of my boys, um, dropped in on a guy where the wave had already broken and it was, it was white water about knee high. And I'd watched the whole thing and it was at the very end of the wave and uh, the guy that he dropped in on shoved him off the wave. Which I was, and I was watching the whole thing and I was like, okay. And then he started yelling at him. And then my son apologized and tried to paddle away. And I'm watching this still, I'm like, okay. And then he kind of pursued him more. And that's, and that's when uh, I said, okay, that's enough. And um, I don't know how far away I was, but maybe 100 feet. And um, I used a different tone of voice than I'm using right now. And, <laughs> and uh, told the guy to come in. And, uh, and, and he wouldn't. And so uh, he started paddling up the point, And I walked and said, come in, and he wouldn't come in. And so finally, it was getting dark, and I was in my clothes, and, and I'm, not, I'm not telling this in any way to draw any attention to myself, I promise, and I've been thoughtful about this. And I was in my, my clothes, and I, and I grabbed a, a soft top, and I paddled out to a guy who I thought was the boy that was going after my son. And, I, and this was probably 15 or 20 minutes, or maybe longer. So I wasn't, I wasn't raging, but I was upset. And so I approached this guy, and I, and I guess I had a pretty serious look on my face, because I said, hey, you, are you the guy that was threatening my son? And he said, no, no, you're my pastor. I go to your church. <laughs> so... I'm glad. The good thing is, is I didn't come out like cussing and screaming and raging. It would have been really bad then. So, and I still, I have no idea who this person is. So if you're here this morning, that's the backstory to what happened. And maybe he never came back. I don't know. Because I don't know who he is. And I tried to find out who he was so I could say, here's what actually happened. But the idea, very quickly, anger... Anger should be used to protect in the right way. And that's all really I'm going to say about it this morning. That there is a right place for anger, and it should be used to protect uh, the right way. And, but here's what happens. Here's, I could tell, that's one story, and I'm not going to this morning, but I could go on and on and on and on and on about ways that I've blown it, where I've just reacted and said something or done something that was not right, that was just anger. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, listen, okay, the murder thing, probably right now, nobody's plotting a murder. All right? So that's something that as believers are like, okay, that doesn't, that's not super relevant. But when Jesus says these words, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Now that changes things. And this is where it begins to press more into our, our lives. And so, this morning we want to talk about the misuse of anger and how it can be abusive and how it takes dignity 
away from people and how it strips humanity away from people and the implications of that. So number one, just briefly, we'll, we'll look at, and I have it a little bit already. Number one, we'll look at how Jesus warns us about being reductionists, where we just reduce a truth in a way that just fits our lifestyle. Number two, we'll do quickly a case study on anger. And then number three, how do we heal? How do we heal our misuse of anger? How do we heal our misuse of anger? So number one, Jesus warns us here about reducing this commandment. Do not murder to just the idea that if you murder, you go to jail. It's not just that. Jesus is critiquing a tradition. What matters here, and this has always been the case, is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is misusing anger takes part of human life away. It takes human dignity away. It takes human worth away. And so that is what Jesus is warning us about. Not only do we not take innocent human life, but neither do we misuse anger to take somebody's dignity. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's look at a case study then of anger and how it can actually work itself out in our lives. So if you have your Bible, turn back to um, Genesis chapter 4 for just a moment. Genesis chapter 4. And this is the story of Cain and Abel, the two brothers. And I'll begin partway in verse 2. And it says, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, the fruit of the ground, from the fruit of the ground. And also in and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. One of the things we learn here is that we learn about the nature of sin and what sin is actually like. And what happens is we think about our problem is just that... That we know that we have problems in our lives. We know that we have shortcomings. We know that we have sin. We know that we have flaws. We know that we all have weak spots in our lives. But the problem is, is that we don't realize that sin or anger, abusive anger in our life is more powerful and more dangerous than we think. And there are so many... Boy, all you have to do is just do a... Uh, a search of the news. Um, there are endless stories of, of, uh, of road rage. Um, this morning, I, I, I probably did it twice this week. If you just do a Google News search for rage, case after case after case, some of them horribly, horribly sad. One of them was a, a case in the Bay Area where a mom was murdered by a man in road rage, um, married, two or three kids, I don't recall exactly, and her life is gone because of road rage. And what happens is, you know, we think, you know what, I would never do that. I would never do that. But as we were, um, if, you, if you caught um, the local news, I think it was last week that there was an incident on PCH of something similar where a person 
pulled their car over and waited for the cyclist to pass by and shoved the person off their bike and, and hit their head. And see, I don't know the full story other than that. And the person was seriously hurt. So the idea, raging and you shove somebody and they hit their head. And if the person dies, now you're responsible for murder. And we just, we just think, you know what? I've got a little bit of an anger problem, but it's under control. And I want to say to you, no, you don't. It's worse than you think. The implications of it are more dangerous than we recognize. There are so many examples, story after story after story, of, um, of anger, of men being angry at home and modeling that for their children. And children are just little sponges. And so when dad talks in an angry, abusive way to mom or his wife, little sponges, little children running around the house just absorb that. And it goes on to the next generation. And it goes to the next generation. This story reminds us, and we'll look at this in a little bit more detail, but when you misuse anger, it is more damaging than you realize. It is not just a word, a flippant word, it actually causes more damage than we think. The context of this is Cain and Abel offer, making an, an offering to God, a dedication offering, an offering where both of them were okay. One was uh, an animal and the other one was produce from being a farmer. But the key thing here is, why, here's the key question, why does God accept Abel's offering and reject Cain? And there is, there's discussion about this, and there's differing opinions about this. But most of the reading I did this week fall into the place that I'll share with you now. And that is that God rejects Cain's offering because his heart or his lifestyle did not match his act of worship. And we see that in verse 7 where it says, if you do well, if you do well, if your lifestyle matches your offering. And in 1 John uh, chapter 3, we have the, the mention of this also, where Abel's lifestyle matched his offering. And this is just, it's worth it for us to pause on this for just a moment, because this is so much more common than we realize, and it will help you understand how easy it is to misuse anger. So here's what's happening. Cain, Cain's life, his attitude, doesn't line up with the sacrifice that he does. It's a half-hearted love. It's a half-hearted devotion to God. Genuine worship or, or real worship would say something like this. I give all of my life to you and I offer my sacrifice to you. Cain says, I give part of my life to you and I give my offering or my sacrifice to you. And when we think about even today in church, about how easy and how common it is for all of us to be a Cain-type person, where we want to say, okay, my, my offering to you is I'm going to come to church, um, I'm going to pray, and I'll sing a few songs, maybe I'll make a donation. But the rest of the week, God, my life is mine. My life belongs to me. You can be an accessory to my life, 
but my life belongs to me. And what happens then as we begin to think through this a little bit is we begin to understand the root of anger in our lives. And here's how this works. is because the love that we have, if our, if our love for God is half-hearted, that means we're sharing our love for God with other things or people. And if you think about it for a second, there is a direct connection between hate and love. Okay, there's a direct link between hate and love. I was talking to the boys this morning about this. And we were talking about how when something you love is threatened, when something you love is threatened, that's when, when hate can creep in. Um, or you want to defend that, another way of thinking about that. What's happening here, or what ha- needs to happen in our lives, is a rearrangement or a reordering of love. Whatever you love in your life, if that thing is threatened, what, maybe say it this way, whatever you love in your life more than God, and that thing is threatened, that's when anger grabs a hold. For example, if you like your free time, if that's more important to you than your relationship with God, and your free time is threatened, What's the emotion inside? Anger. Whatever you love more than God, whatever you're defending more than your relationship with God, that then becomes the root of anger. God is looking for a life that has an inward humility, a brokenness of God before God, then expresses an outward worship. The Bible goes on to say that Cain is very angry because God rejects his sacrifice. It then goes on to say this. The Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And then he says something very profound, very significant that we learn about the source of anger. And if, you do not, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. And we learn just a couple of really important things about sin here and about anger in our lives and the root of anger. Number one, we learn here that sin is crouching low. That sin hides. It lays low. Our problem is not that we just have a sin problem. Our problem is we don't see our own sin. We don't, we don't want to see the full degree of it. We don't want to see the full significance of it. When I, um, years ago in my 20s, uh, when I worked at a, a drug rehab problem, here's, here's what was common. People would commonly say, I have a, I have a problem but they would always underestimate the degree of the problem. And that's, what, that's what's happening in this passage. When we say, and here's my own life thinking about this week. I have a sin problem. I have an anger problem. And it's crouching low. It's hiding right now. It's not showing itself right now. We're all sitting here being nice and we're listening to the Bible. And so it's not there now. But when the conditions line themselves up right throughout the week, it's ready to pounce. The word here, sin is crouching, is the idea of a cat getting low. 
And if you've had a cat, you've seen this before, in our backyard, they get low, right? Ready to get the bird if they can or whatever they're chasing. And at the right moment, they pounce. And God's word is saying something very significant to us. That the most dangerous thing in your life right now, the most dangerous form of sin, it's hiding from you right now. And you can't see it. People might say, hey, I know my issues. I know the things in my life I need to work on. And what this is reminding, of us, reminding us is that it's hiding. And it's at just the right time, it will show itself. It hides itself in different ways. We say things like this. Here's what we don't say. Nobody says, uh, I'm a really selfish person. What we say is, actually, I'm a really busy person. And the response is, no, you're not. You're just very selfish doing the wrong things, making yourself busy. Nobody likes to say, I'm a greedy person. We just say things like, I want to be very productive, and I want to advance my career. Nobody wants to say, I'm a jealous person. I'm just protective of the people I love. Nobody says, I'm a domineering person. We just say things like, I like to take initiative. I like to take charge and make things happen. When we understand the nature of sin, we see that it's crouching, lying low. Next, we, it says, its desire is for you. And that is that it's more powerful than we realize. That sin is hiding, it's more powerful, it's more, more domineering than we even realize. That anger often finds its, its root in brokenness or pain in our lives, is waiting for just the right moment to dominate and control your life. I was reading uh, one sermon this week and uh, this author quoted uh, a really old guy named Augustine or Augustine from the 300s. And this is really significant. At least this made, this made perfect sense to me. And I hope this will help with you. A disordered love creates disordered anger. Disordered love in your life creates disordered anger. Right-ordered love creates right-ordered anger. And this connects exactly with Cain and Abel. Abel was a man who had the right order of love in his life. Cain had a disordered love life. Uh, I read this week, just a little bit of searching about um, romantic relationships and, and suicide. And it talked about how when someone is dating somebody or engaged and they put that person on such a high place, this is called disordered love, and the person breaks up with them, the stories that came out with people whose lives were just destroyed and began to contemplate suicide. The Bible here is talking about something very precise and clear and something we can understand is that disordered love will create a place of anger in your life. And this is the hope, or this is how we even heal our anger. We heal our anger by reordering our love life. 
We heal our anger by reordering our love life. Luke chapter 10 says this, and this is Jesus summarizing the Ten Commandments. Love God with all of your heart. Love God first with all of who you are. And then you love other people. That is the right love order in our lives. That's why the first four of the Ten Commandments are vertical commandments. It's about how people have a right relationship with God. You have to have the right love order in your life. Healing our misuse of anger begins with this. Number one, confess confess anger in your life or take ownership. Identify it. The Bible is filled with example after example of jealousy, of pride, of how those are a misuse of anger. Let me think about it this way. There are Let's look at two, two levels or two degrees of anger. Level one, we can say, is a bedrock of bitterness in our life. Level one, level, level one, anger in our life, bedrock of bitterness and anger. Level two, somebody snubs you or doesn't say hi to you at the, at the grocery store and you feel a little bit upset. We can call that level two. If you want to heal deep anger within your life, you have to be willing to think about the source of anger, of where is it coming from. What areas of my life create anger? And then you examine it. You examine it. You can ask this question. What are you defending? What are you defending when you get angry? And here's the answer most of the time. Most of the time, it's our own pride. That's our own selfish desires. If you, want to, if you want to move forward in your relationship with Christ, it begins with reordering the order of your life with love. Jesus says this, Do not murder but don't even hate. Take it to the place where God is addressing the issue of your heart. And if you want to learn how we move forward, it begins with reordering love in your life and contemplating and thinking through the issues of your life where anger might be a source and how it works itself out. Deep-seated bedrock bitterness or hurt or anger are things like this. You're angry at God for the life that you have. You're angry at your parents. You're angry at yourself for this pattern of sin. You're angry, you're angry at somebody who has broken your heart, and so then you're angry at large groups of people. The bedrock of anger in our lives is healed when we reorder our love life and see the love of Christ. Let's finish up with this and help us understand this. That there was one person, his name is Jesus Christ, who took on the wrath of God, who took on the anger that was deserved for us all and took that on himself on the cross so that we can have a right relationship, so that we can have a right peaceful, restored relationship first with God 
And He can heal the deep-seated anger in our lives. And when that happens, we then begin to have peace. And Jesus says something like this that radically changes how we treat people. He says, love your enemies. He says, love your neighbors and love your enemies. And you can do that when the bedrock of anger in your life begins to be healed with what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would understand the spirit of the Sixth Commandment, which says, do not murder. That we would understand behind that can be a secret root of bitterness in our lives. Father, we know that, that roots can turn into shoots, and shoots can turn into trees, and trees can turn into a forest. And a forest of anger or bitterness can control our lives. Father, I pray for healing this morning. And I pray that if there's anyone here that has a, a, a bedrock of anger in their lives, that they would be healed by your son Jesus, by understanding what he did on the cross. I pray that we would leave here this morning forgiven and freed and renewed in your love you have for us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.